Raise your hand if you've dealt with a particular issue time and time again, and you've dealt with that particular issue so many times in your life that you start to wonder if you'll ever really get past it. Raise your hand. Our tendency as sinners is to think that once we get through one hurdle, that one hurdle in our life, that we've cleared it and we've left it behind. But that is rarely how it works. It's just like when I'm trying to get to my hometown in Kentucky, I generally start the trip out thinking one thing. i got to get through Atlanta. Once I can get through Atlanta, not going to be any more traffic. Then I get through Atlanta, and I go, whew, all right. You just said it, didn't you? Chattanooga. Once I get through Atlanta, I'm going, whew, all right, no more. Just clear, no more coasting from here. Then I get to Chattanooga. Chattanooga's worse than Atlanta. Can be. Then I'll bottleneck through Chattanooga, and I'll go, finally, all right, we we can get going now. And then I got Nashville on rush hour, which is actually worse, can be worse than those the prior two. I'm always thinking that the last city I cleared, that was the last time I got to deal with the headache. We have a tendency to frame our lives in the exact same way. That was the last time. That was the last one. Clear sailing. But God, in His providence, often has us return to the same problems, same challenges, same issues, so that we can return to the same Savior. In our passage this morning, Jacob is on the run again. He's been here before. Jacob's been running almost as long as we've known Jacob in Genesis. Jacob's been running from Esau since chapter 27. Now he's running from the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Think of how I said that right. History is repeating itself once again in Jacob's life. And once again, God says, go to Bethel. Same circumstances, same place, same God. Here's the gospel this morning. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen? When we believe in Him for salvation and follow Him through trial after trial, we find not that God has changed, but that we have changed. God saves sinners not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And He conforms us to Himself in Jesus. That's the good news. If you'll turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 through 15. Genesis chapter 35 first 15 verses, and once you've found it, if you wouldn't mind standing for the reading of God's Word this morning. And Moses writes, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all those who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that 
were in their ears, Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. Let's pray. Father, we do battle with so many issues in our lives. Many of us are addicted to things, whether we know it or not. Some of us have emotional challenges. Many of us harbor enmity against others. Some of us cannot escape the memories of our past. Father, we confront some of the same issues seemingly over and over and over again. And even though we have come so far, many of us are still waiting to clear the mountain. Father, this morning, show us through Jacob why it is that you have ordained that we go through so many of these same problems. Why it is that you deny us complete victory in this life and why we must return to Jesus day after day, clinging to the first hope and first love that we've always had, and that is Christ. And all these things we ask in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen. Oh, there it is. Thank you. Can hear me now, or maybe not, I don't know. Here's what I think we should gather from this passage this morning. So that we would continually see our need for Christ and to worship Him as Lord, God often brings us back to similar circumstances in our lives so that we can recall once more what God has done, what He has promised, and who He is. Here's a little bit of context. Jacob's on the run again. The only difference is that before he was on the run from his brother, now he's in a new land and he's on the run from the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Well, why is that? Well, in chapter 33, Jacob and Esau finally reconcile. Esau runs to meet Jacob and actually, actually a pretty emotional uh, event here because Esau falls on his neck, kisses his brother, and it says they weep together. 
finally back together after all the things that Jacob has done to wrong Esau and all the, the pursuing that Esau has done uh, for his brother Jacob. However, in chapter 34, something terrible happens. If you'll recall, Jacob has 12 sons, most by Leah. But Leah also has a daughter named Dinah. And there's a man named Shechem in the land. He's the son of the prince of that land. And it says that he seizes Dinah and essentially rapes this woman. Scripture says that he quote-unquote humiliated her. But there's a twist. Shechem wants to marry Dinah. And not only that, the, the, the Shechem has suggested that Jacob's sons intermarry with their daughters. Well, as you might imagine, Jacob's sons are not happy about what has occurred to their sister. So they devise a plan. And what they tell Shechem's clan is, yes, we'll intermarry with you on one condition, if you'll be circumcised. And what Shechem says is, okay, sure. We and all of our men, all of our sons, all the males in our tribe, we'll get circumcised so that we can do this marriage thing and we can all become one. Well, what they were really anticipating was so basically essentially on the third day after they circumcised themselves which as you might imagine hurts it says that they're still sore (laughs) Dinah's brothers come in on the third day and slaughter all of them for what they did to their sister they come in and slaughter all the males in Hamor's camp All of Shechem, Hamor, all of them are dead. And Jacob says, look what you've done now. We've got to be on the run again. All of the Canaanites are going to want us dead. And of course, Jacob's sons are like, what, are we supposed to leave our sister? Treat her like a prostitute? So now you've got a little bit of tension between Jacob and his sons. And what we see at the end of chapter 34 is Jacob finds himself once again on the run and says, we've got to go. We can't stay here anymore. And so as they're running, God says, go back. Go back to where you first started, Jacob. Go back to Bethel. And so we see here at the very beginning of chapter 35, for every sinner walking with God often means returning to God. Through trials, sometimes the same trials, God constantly calls our wandering hearts back to Him. When Kelly had surgery last month, I'll admit, Kelly and I kind of felt like Jacob. We're sitting here in the, in the post-op room, and here we kind of feel like we're kind of going through the same things. Same circumstances, same trials, same issues. And God says, go back to when I first appeared to you. Go back to the gospel. Go back to my promises. Come back to me. Remember who I am. Put away your foreign gods. Put away your doubt. Worship me. Pursue me. Desire me. And I'll be sufficient for you. There's a reason that God has Jacob go back to Bethel. And it's not just because Bethel is the only piece of real estate that he could find. It's because Bethel represents God's faithfulness and His presence with Jacob. Bethel is the place where God first revealed Himself and spoke truth to Jacob. God's like, I've been here since the beginning. I haven't left. 
I haven't changed. Verse 1 says this, God said to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. When God's people get scared, God starts whispering, Remember me. Remember what I've done. Remember how far we've come. Remember my salvation. Remember who I am. And then you'll remember who you are. Sometimes the reason we so often despair in this life is because we so often forget to do the first thing God commanded us to do, and that is to simply trust Him with all our heart, soul, and mind. And God calls us back to Bethel. Some of us can't seem to escape family problems. Some of us in here can't seem to escape health problems. Some of us can't escape financial problems and marital problems. And what God wants us to know is our trials are the same and the solution is still the same. Go back to God. Go back to the gospel. R.C. Sproul said this, There are only two ways of dying. We can die in faith or we can die in our sins. Which tells me that our trials and tribulations in this life, eternally speaking, aren't going to mean a lick. But our faith will. Better to live a life with the same pesky challenges and problems with faith in Christ than a life of convenience with none. This is why God's people are continually making altars and pillars and stones. Why? Because they want to remember God. They want to remember what God has done. Oftentimes they want to remember what God done and where He did what He did. In Exodus chapter 24, after God delivers His people from slavery and makes a covenant with them, Moses does what? He makes an altar. The next time you meet the same issue, the same challenges, the same addictions, any time of us... The next time we greet a new issue in our life and we go, wow, this is kind of the same thing I've been dealing with all of my life, just think to yourself, do I need reminding that God is worthy of my praise? And the answer is probably yes. The more our lives change, the more they stay the same. The same trials bring us back to the same God, brings us back to the same commands. Know me, worship me, trust me, obey me. Right now, we've got a rule in the Todd house. Well, the twins' rule, it's not mine. Don't be in the kitchen. The, the, the twins don't need to be in the kitchen. Matter of fact, if any of y'all are ever in my house and you see the kitchen, you have my permission to scoot them out of the kitchen. They slip, they fall, they go head first into the, I mean, just grab a knife, whatever. Just, just. Use your imagination and think about all the things that go wrong with a three-year-old in the kitchen. Um, It's really made because of all that's happened already with them in the kitchen. Caught my son with something in his hand that was sharp, and I went, that's it, no more kitchen. And um, I'll take Sissy and put her in her room. And she'll look up at me like, well, I'm not in my room. And, I'll, and I'm so tired of it now, I'll just do this. I'll go, here we are. <laughs> Been here 200 times. I don't, I'm not even mad. It's just, see, see, nope, come on. Here we go. And she'll just cry, and I'll go, I'm not making this up. 
Here we are again. I think God kind of treats us like that. It's like we kick it and scream and, oh, and God's looking at us like, been here before. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Rule's still the same. Command's still the same. My love for you's still the same. Your disobedience is still the same. As long as we sinfully refuse... Here's something to think about. As long as we sinfully refuse to obey the same commands, God has every right to bring upon us the same issues and trials in order for us to obey Him. And did you notice what Jacob does before he takes his family to Bethel? Let's read verses 2 and 3. So Jacob says to his household and to all who are with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel, so that I may make an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. A call to worship the living God in Christ is a call for us to examine the idolatry in our own hearts. It's a safe bet today that even on a daily basis rather, that we're battling at least one, probably more, idols in our own heart. Let me put it another way. If you're not worshiping God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you have almost, almost inevitably replaced loving your God with all your heart, soul, and mind with loving something else with all your heart, soul, and mind. And verses 2 and 3 is probably the most responsible thing Jacob's ever done as a father. A father, I don't know if I have a slide here to say it or not. I'm not sure if I, I think I said it better on the slide. A father should take seriously the temptations of the world and the sin nature of his own children, seeking to shed the light of Scripture into the dark corners of his children's heart. It's the father's job and the mother's job to say, put the foreign gods away. To look, it's, it's a father and a parent's job to say, how are we... Spending our time in this family. What are we spending our money on in this family? Right now we have this book. And right now it's, it's not even reading the Bible to our kids. I mean it's biblical and there are verses. But right now it's just teaching our kids simple things like God is good. God is righteous. God is just. God is holy. God is kind. Very basic concepts that would never make their way into my children's heart unless God spoke them there. And what Jacob is doing is he's saying, get them out. Here's the thing. Behavioral correction for our children is a must because our kids need the law. But the idolatry that's resonant in their hearts will never make its way out unless the living God is put in. And here's what God says to Jacob. Leave your old life in your old name. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. I will fulfill my promises. That's essentially what God tells Jacob. God's like, I'm not changing, but you will. Right now, there's a lot of churches that insist that we need to just become first comfortable with who we are, and they'll try to mold God into someone who just loves us as we are. That's not how the gospel works. Um, NFL quarterback, 
maybe future Hall of Famer Aaron Rodgers. He's a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers is now a disciple of Rob Bell. I don't know if you all know who that is. Essentially, Rob Bell believes, he's, a, he's actually Oprah Winfrey's spiritual advisor. Rob Bell believes that there is no hell. There are a lot of people in America who believe there is no hell. And, of course, the classic line is, how could a good God send people to hell? And what they've done is they've distorted God and fashioned him into, into their own minds, into thinking that, well, if I'm good, God must be good too. Therefore, if I'm good, God won't send me to hell. And that starts on the, on the wrong foot. See, no one is good. And God is. And therefore, if we don't, if we don't uh, wonder why criminals are put in jail, if we don't wonder why um, people who deserve prison are sent there, then why could we ever contest a God who sends criminals to hell? Here's what the gospel says. As a sinner, you are not okay the way you are, and because God will always be who He is, God must change who you are. In order to save sinners, God changes sinners in Jesus. I don't want to, I don't want, here, oh, here's a concept to think about, just popped in my head. I do not want to worship a God who does not execute judgment upon people who deserve it. I don't. I want a just God. I want a holy God. I want a God who is so just and, whole, and so holy that He is so consistent that I know that that God will always do the right thing. See, the, where repentance comes in is when God doing the right thing is laying the sword on me. That's why repentance is so hard. We have, no, we have no problem whatsoever asking God to mete out His justice on the person next to us. But what happens when that judgment comes upon my own soul? And so, when I believe in a just God, when I believe in a holy God, when I want that God whose yes will mean yes and His no will mean no, when I finally find that God and I see Him and I finally realize who I am, repentance is standing underneath the sword and saying, I deserve it too. And that's why I believe in Jesus. That's repentance and faith. One of the sad things... I, I, you know, one of the things we shouldn't miss here in this passage is, I am God Almighty. This isn't just an introduction. God is revealing Himself once again. He's reintroducing Himself to Jacob. If God never reveals Himself to us, we have no, we have no hope of ever reforming our lives. The most merciful, benevolent, good and kind and gracious thing God could ever do to the world is to reveal Himself to it. One of the saddest things about living in a sinful world is the fact that we constantly need to be reintroduced to the living God. Relatively speaking, there are, there are relatively speaking, I would say there are more people in this community that don't believe in the gospel than do. But I would think you're hard-pressed to find an atheist in this town. Maybe at Oxford College. <laughs> You might find more atheists at that school. But here we're in the Bible Belt. No offense. 
let's just call brass tacks. But we're in the Bible Belt. You'd be hard-pressed to go into one of these neighborhoods and find somebody that's like, I don't believe in God, I don't believe there ever was a God. I think most people in this town believe that there is a God. So when you ask him, you start talking about Jesus, you'll go, hey, let me, let me tell, you about the, tell you about the gospel. They'll go, well, yeah, I grew up in church, I was baptized. How often have we heard that one? But you don't stop there when you come face to face with someone whose heart is hardened and they don't want anything of organized religion and they don't want your God. Your job is not to convince them and make a rhetorical argument for how good God is. Your job is just to introduce them to the living God through God's Word. Because of sin, people need God to reveal Himself to them and it can't happen with trees. It can't happen with good poetry. It can't happen with a good conversation. Those things may be the, the, the stepping stone. But ultimately, people will not come to believe in the living God unless God reveals Himself. And He has done that in His Word. The second thing to take note of is be fruitful and multiply. Where have we heard that before? Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 9. Now in Genesis chapter 35, God's plan to cover the world with His image bearers and His glory has not changed. The only difference now is He's doing it through Jacob. He's doing it still today, except He's doing it through Jacob's descendant, Jesus. God hasn't changed. God's plan hasn't changed. Sinners haven't changed. Jesus hasn't changed. I'm going to confess to everyone this morning. Today in on January 26, 2020, man, it sounds really, it's so freaky. I am a changed man. I am not who I was in the year 2000 when I was in eighth grade. Can't believe I was in eighth grade in 2000. Oxford kids are like, wow, he's really old. Um, I am not who I once was, church. I am a completely different person than I once was. A lot of y'all, if you could zip back to 2000 and be on the 8th grade bus when I'm on the way home and I'll be talking the way I was. Remember I talked about how I was always in the back of the bus because I thought that was really cool. The stuff coming out of my mouth, the way I treated women, the way I talked behind people's back, the things I liked, if we could zap back there, you and you guys would go, that's going to be my preacher. My goodness, I do believe in the living God. <laughs> and we zap back now, I am not at all who I once was. But here, let me tell you this, I still battle insecurity, I still battle covetousness, I still fight arrogance, I still think I'm somebody, I'm still selfish at oftentimes, I still battle temptation. The more I grow in Jesus, ironically, the more I find myself coming back to the same things that 8th grade Abby did. Stay with me. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And I feel like Jacob sometimes. I mean, I, I, the way I talk to my wife sometimes, I go, I feel like Jacob. I'm on the run again. The difference now is that I find myself battling the same sins, but I have the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I have a, a fire that's kindled in my heart. I have a taste that's on my tongue. I'm completely different. I have my eyes that are opened. I don't like the same things. I don't want the same things. I now have the, my eyes open to the glory of God. And now I know to always return to my Bethel, who is Jesus. And I think the most beautiful thing in this passage is Jacob's name. Israel. Israel shall be your name, he says. God is reminding Jacob that he is not the same person that he once was. We, as redeemed sinners, we're not just sinners. We're redeemed sinners. We're born-again sinners. Even today, as born-again sinners, we need constant reminders that God has changed us into new people. I am not a slave anymore. I am not blind anymore. I am not a lost person anymore. The world tells me I'm not worthy. My flesh says that I, am, I have shame. Satan will remind me of the things that I have done, but Jesus wants to remind me that I have a new name. This morning... Almost every one of y'all raised your hands when I asked you that first question. You got the same issues? You got the similar challenges? Are you walking through something and you still haven't mastered it? God isn't being redundant, church. He's making a reintroduction to your life. And sometimes we need to remember, we got to come back like Jacob to the God who first appeared to us. We got to come back to our true Bethel who is Jesus. You see, walking with God is growing in God. Being sanctified is advancing in holiness so that we now come to serve God and obey God in a brand new way all of our life. There is a growth in the Christian life, but you will never grow in the Christian life and completely leave Jesus Christ. It's a needy growth. There is never a day you will wake up and completely advanced in holiness in such a way that you have completely lost your need to come back to the one who saved you. Therefore, if there is anyone in here who is not saved, my command to you is the same command I would give to someone who is saved. Come back to Jesus. We do not grow the gospel. And the gospel that saves you is the gospel that sustains you. Let's pray. Father, we need your grace every day, and you have called us back to Bethel. Jesus Christ is where your presence is. Jesus Christ is where the fullness of deity dwells. Father, we can find you in no more fuller, more supreme way than looking upon your Son, Jesus Christ. There is no way we can come to you but to call out that name. And in Jesus, you give us a new name. My legal name is still Abi, but I am a new Abi. And for all of those who have believed in Jesus, we may look the same. Father, we know that we have been changed. You are the God who answers us. You are the God who has never left us. Father, I pray that for anyone in here who is battling the same challenges and the same problems and the same issues, that Father, when the world looks at it and thinks, why in the world 
Are challenges coming our way that we can instead see your grace when you continually call us back to who you are? And Father, we know that by any means necessary, you will remind us daily that you are a God who keeps his promises. Father, although many of our challenges are still the same, we know that our Savior is still the same, and that is Jesus. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen.